Today, we'll return again to Luke chapter 8. If you'll turn there. And today we're going to talk about family concerns, family difficulties. During these days of the Thanksgiving holiday that we just uh, enjoyed, my sweet wife and I were blessed to have two of our beloved grandchildren spending time with us. And we enjoyed them so very much. They both have such delightful and agreeable personalities. And they're always loving and kind to their Mimi and Papa. But with all that said about their sweet responses to their grandmother and me, we were also able to observe the beginnings of some sibling rivalry that was taking place between the two of them. And that seems common in families. Now for them, these beginnings of this sibling rivalry, we sadly know that as they get older, that sibling rivalry is likely to continue. And it's likely to grow. And we know that because that kind of rivalry is not at all new. It's not a new behavior. It's been part of family life since the beginning of time. And while that rivalry can remain mild, as it did with our two sons, I'm glad to say, while that rivalry can remain mild, it all too often can become harsh. And it can seriously interfere with good family life. And we have only to turn the pages of our scriptures and we can find all manner of sibling rivalry taking place there. Beginning with Cain and Abel and then Jacob and Esau, and then Joseph and and his brothers, and it went on and on. And again, it's no different from the families of today. And also, one of the other circumstances that we see taking place within so many of the families in today's culture is that while many of the families, especially here in the South, are regular churchgoers, often we can clearly see that while some of those family members are truly sincere and devout in their relationship with the Lord and in their desire to know the Lord, others within the same families are not. And that may be so within some of your families. Sadly, it is so within my own family. And it grieves my heart each Sunday as my wife and I attend church And I know that some of our most beloved family members, they're not doing the same. As we read these scriptures, we can see that the Lord Jesus suffered most all of the same kinds of sufferings that each of us experience and suffer. And this same sad reality that some of his family members didn't believe in him was one of his sufferings. Listen to these words of our passage beginning in verse 19 of Luke chapter 8. Verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, just before Jesus' mother And his brothers arrived at this house. We're told in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus entered that house 
And again, a, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. Folks, the cost of being a Christian can sometimes be far greater. And it can be measured in ways that we would never have imagined it would be when we first responded to the Lord Jesus for salvation. For myself, I can't recall all the thoughts that ran through my own mind during those days when God was first drawing me to Christ. I only knew that something was very wrong within me, and I knew that sin had somehow to do with it. And I didn't know how to rid myself of that burden. Mercifully, God's Spirit intervened and convinced me that crying out to Jesus was my only hope. And though that final moment of my salvation didn't come as easily and in a single moment as I understand takes place with a lot of people, that is still what I did. I cried out to the Lord Jesus. And I did that for no less than three months before that treasured peace of salvation began to take place within me. But during all those moments of suffering and crying out to Jesus, I don't believe that I was taking into account the real cost that my salvation would require of me. In my misery, I only knew that I needed the remedy that Jesus offered, else my sin would destroy me. Now let me hasten to say at this point that the Scriptures are clear and they're true when they tell us that salvation is truly free. That's what the word grace means. It's a free gift from God. And I did very little to gain that salvation. Jesus did everything that would be required. He paid the full price. He gave everything so that I might have eternal life with Him. The only part of that initial transaction of salvation that's required of you and me is to believe in Him and to receive His forgiveness. Only two things is to believe in Him and to receive His forgiveness. And in doing that, folks, then we're truly saved and eternally saved. But listen, as I've said so many times, salvation is only the beginning. That moment of salvation is only the beginning because soon after that, soon after we take that first step of salvation, we find ourselves then being urged on by God's Spirit to continue to move on further and deeper into that relationship with Him. We find that from its beginning, our salvation has other continuing dimensions to it. Responsibilities. Responsibilities that pull us further and deeper into a a next step that takes place in salvation. And it's there. It's in that next step that we start to encounter most of our trials. Listen to the way that God describes that in Philippians chapter 2. He tells us there, he says to each of us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now God has already worked the salvation in, but he, he tells us here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he's telling us, this salvation that He has freely given to us, we have to start working it out in the moments of our daily life. And that's when the price, the cost of our salvation begins to impact us. 
And the deeper our soul becomes immersed within our faith, the greater that cost becomes. And so many people will avoid that. They like to stay up here on the surface and enjoy the freedoms now that they have in being saved. But if they only let themselves be drawn deeper, immersed into their faith, then there will be a greater cost. And sometimes we're surprised by those strong demands. I recall that for myself and my family, shortly after I was saved, I began to feel this compelling need within my soul to leave my very promising career as a banker and to go into some form of full-time Christian ministry. Now, fortunately, my sweet wife and my children were in agreement with my desires, and so we stepped out into ministry. But that's not always the case. That's not always the case. When Jesus himself chose to come and walk among us as a common man, many of the difficulties and demands of human existence became part of his daily life. And he was required then to pay some of those costs. Now here in today's text, we see Jesus encountering the dynamics of family relationships. But he was also recognizing that he had to go ahead and push on through all those difficulties. Listen to these words again that I read to us a moment ago. First from Mark chapter 3. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. And then in Luke chapter 8, then his mother and his brothers came to him and they could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They desire to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I want us to note here first that Jesus was so pressed by this crowd that his mother and his brothers couldn't come near to him. Those words, folks, reveal a hidden truth within them. Dozens and dozens of people had gathered there in that house and around it to hear the things that Jesus would say and to see the things that he would do. And the simple fact, listen, the simple fact that all those people were between Jesus and his family meant that those people, many of them strangers, were more eager to see and to hear Jesus than were his own family members. Otherwise, his mother and his brothers would have been there first and they'd have been sitting on the front row. But why would that take place? Why did they not hear and want to hear what Jesus had to say? Why would that kind of circumstance take place? Jesus told us the reason in Mark chapter 6. He said, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Too often, folks, that happens. One of my favorite preachers, John Piper, he offers some thoughts about the probable family circumstance that Jesus lived within as he was growing up. Piper tells us, he says, I'll bet it was difficult to have Jesus as a brother. He said, Jesus would have been without equal in intellect and wisdom. We know that because he was astounding these rabbis in the temple at only age 12. Now, a sinful fallen family member is one thing, but a perfect one 
would be a hard act to follow. Imagine having a perfect and gifted brother. Then Piper goes on to say, Jesus' consistent and extraordinary moral character must have made him odd and unnerving to be around by his brothers and sisters. They would have grown increasingly self-conscious around him, aware of their own sinful, self-obsessed motives and conduct while seeing that Jesus didn't seem to have any of those wrong behaviors. That surely would have been hard for them to live with. I agree with John Piper. We can only imagine what it would be like to live in a house, in a family with Jesus as he was growing up, him being perfect in everything that he did. That's when sibling rivalry comes to the surface. And we see here in the book of Mark how even Jesus' mother, do you note that even she, though she had been visited by the archangel Gabriel and been told that her son Jesus was the son of God, well now here in this moment of weakness, she seems to be struggling with doubts. And that unbelief by Jesus' brother seems to have continued at least throughout most of Jesus' years. In John chapter 7, we read about an episode there. He says, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Do you note those last words? They're in verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. In those words, we read that Jesus' family was here advising him to make himself more well-known, both to his disciples, not just the twelve, but all the many disciples that followed him, and then also to the world. But you'll recall one phenomena that was always present and repeated often in these Gospels, and that is that Jesus knew the thoughts of everyone around him. So he knew what these his brothers were thinking and saying, and he knew that they didn't believe in him. He knew their motives, and so he refused to follow their advice and their desires. Now, folks, I do want to be careful in my thoughts and comments about Jesus' family, and about their unbelief. I know very well that I might probably have been much like them, much like them, had I lived there in the family with Jesus. And no doubt, even in my own case, as I've thought back on my years with my own family members, they knew me in my childhood and in my growing years. I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 29 years old. So I have a lot of things, a lot of memories, both in my own mind, but also in their minds, that I wish weren't there. And so I've thought, as I stand in this pulpit, that they might struggle whenever they come to visit. They might struggle with those memories of knowing what a wretched sinner that I have been, especially before I was saved. But even now, even now, my continuing propensity to sin. And so I can understand that as they would sit in those pews and sometimes maybe wonder if what I'm saying is coming out of my own mind or is actually coming from the mind of Christ, they would probably have some doubts at least. And as Jesus' brothers heard his response to this 
statement that your mother and your brothers are here to see you, they might have thought him to be disrespectful with the words that he said. He said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the words of God and do them. Now those words might sound strange. They might even sound somewhat disrespectful, but they're not. The Lord Jesus would never have been disrespectful towards his mother. One of the commandments that he wrote was honor thy father and thy mother. So he would have never dishonored his mother by being disrespectful towards her. He was always perfectly holy and righteous in everything that he said and everything that he did. But folks, in this new role that he had taken on as Savior and Lord, the word family truly would have taken on a whole new meaning. Yes, his mother and his brothers would always be part of this earthly family of his. But in the salvation that he was bringing into the world, Jesus was now adopting a whole new family, an eternal family. And only those who would accept and believe the gospel that he preached would be a part of that new family. And that was a painful truth that Jesus had to accept about his siblings and about his mother. And that's also, listen, that is also a painful truth that you and I will have to accept about our own families. No matter how dearly we love our earthly family, if they... If our mother, our father, our brother, our sister, wife, husband, children even, if they don't believe and receive Christ as their Savior, they will not be a part of God's eternal family. That is painful. But if they don't receive Christ as their Savior, they will not be part of God's eternal family. And they will not be with us in the kingdom of God. Makes me weep to think about it. What a sorrowful reality that is, and it will be. So knowing that to be true then, because it is true because Scripture says so, what is our response to be to our loved ones? It first has to be a response just like Jesus had to his brothers, and that was one of steadfast love and mercy. And We have to be careful not to form any long-term opinions based on some immediate occurrences that are taking place, like was taking place there with the Lord Jesus. Because the moments that we have in front of us right now, they're just snapshots in time. And they don't always reflect what will take place later on in someone's life. And that was so with Jesus. Yes, his mother and his brothers might have had some doubt in those beginning years. And some of them, we don't know, but some of them may have been unbelievers all the days of their lives. But we have evidence from these scriptures that at least some of them, at least some of them would come to believe in him. Because, praise be to God, we read in Acts chapter 1, this is after Jesus, after he was resurrected and as he was ascending into heaven, we find there that Jesus' mother and his brothers were gathered with the disciples in the upper room there at the beginning days of Pentecost. That has such a promise to it that they had now come to believe in him. And also, one of his brothers, James, he's the writer of the book of James, he came to believe in Jesus devoutly. And James later on, you might recall, became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And folks, listen, the same must be You are my earnest desire and goal for our own families. The same desire that Jesus had.
that our mother and our brothers in the flesh would become brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to emphasize that it is of the utmost urgency that we begin to reach out to each of our family members today, else they may not be with us in the kingdom of God. And what a heartbreaking thing that will be. But how can we reach out to them? How should we begin? We first must begin with our own relationship with Christ. Because they can see that. They can see our relationship with Christ. And if that relationship is not in order, then it'll just be like the blind leading the blind. And that will never get anyone saved. And so we need to do as the Lord instructs us here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, one thing that you have to do, one thing. He says, you have to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your strength. And then he says it has to go on from there. Tells us also in Deuteronomy 6. And he says, these words that I command you this day shall be upon your own heart. Now you've taken them into your own heart. And then he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. He says, you should bind them as a sign on your hands and on your forehead. Everything that you touch, everything that you do with your hands, everything that you think. And you should write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gateposts so that everybody in your neighborhood knows that you believe in Christ. Now notice especially here that we have this responsibility that He commands us to have with our children. We don't have a choice in this. He says, these commands that I give you this day, they are commands. And they are to train up our children diligently. We're to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And then he says, okay, husbands, for your wives. Ephesians chapter 5. He tells us as husbands, we're to always be ministering to our wives. There he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Mysterious words, but they're real. They give us this clear command that I am to sanctify my wife daily with the cleansing of the washing of the water of the Word of God. Not my own opinions. Not that I sit in front of her and tell her what, how the politics of our nation should run. No, I should sanctify her with the washing of the Word of God. He wants each of us to begin within our own soul. And then He wants us to reach out from there into our family members. And then on out into our community with our friends. And all on out into our workplaces with those that we get involved with each day. Folks, His truth must permeate and saturate everything that we are, everything that we say, and everything that we do. His truth, the truth of these words of Scripture, must become our way of life. And we need to always remember that God Himself has a perfect plan for not only us, but for our loved ones. He has a perfect plan for you and me. How many times have you heard Billy Graham say those words? God has a plan for your life. It's true. He has a plan for us, but he also has that plan for our loved ones. And just as it was in Jesus' family at that encounter, 
The plan for them, the plan for our family members, may just be on a different timetable. You and I can't get discouraged by what we see taking place in front of us, just as Jesus could not be discouraged, and he wasn't. God's plan for our loved ones may just be on a different timetable. We're to do our part and wait upon him. And listen, regardless, regardless of the events, of the sufferings that may take place in our own experience, we really do need to continue to press on towards that upward calling in Christ. Let me close with these words. Work out your salvation. Just because you walked down an aisle, just because you said, Jesus, please come into my heart, that is only the beginning step. It is only the step inside the door. So you're inside the doorway. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this newfound salvation that you have? You may have had it now for a long time, but you need to do something with it. And he's telling us in these words to work out your salvation, the, the daily events of your salvation, and do that with fear and trembling because it is God who's working within you at that moment and all of those moments, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure, according to his plan. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess we fall short Oh, we're watching so many of our loved ones perish daily. And we have all these fears and we don't know what to say and don't know what to do. But Father, we should. You've told us everything that we need to know right here in your word. Help us to reach to you. And Holy Spirit, explain these words to us. And especially explain these words to us right at the moment that we need to say them to our loved ones. Help us to work out this salvation of ours with fear and trembling, for we know that it's you who's working within us to do according to your will. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.